0: Little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine.
1: Let it shine, let it
0: shine, let it shine. shine. Hi, and welcome to Real Good Stuff. I'm Scott Clapson. We are here today with Dorit Dowler Guerrero. How are you, Dorit?
1: Honky Dory. <laughs> and we are here at the fountain across the street from Griffith Park and it's gorgeous.
0: It's a beautiful it day. Is,
1: it is yes. Yeah, and there's no more drought in, in California.
0: Yeah, there's flowers everywhere. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Yeah, I, I'm i so excited. This is the second uh, in the series that we've recorded outdoors. And we picked this location for a couple of reasons. One, because this is where you all do outreach with Sela. Yep. And uh, this is actually where I was sleeping outside for the last five months. Was next to this fountain, right next to the bus stop, right over there next to the road.
1: In the grass or in the cement?
0: Uh, In the dirt that's next to the road right there. Yeah. And then six o'clock in the morning, the fountain would turn on and I'd go lay on one of the cement benches and wait until it was time to get up at about 830 and then head to my day.
1: It sucks being homeless.
0: It's a challenge being human, I think. Uh, And whether you're housed or homeless or whatever the situation is, um, I'm certainly learning that uh, even being housed now, there's uh, challenges that come along with that as well.
1: I do remember when I used when I was working still, and and even with the work I working in, in homeless services, which I've done for like 30 years, and even with Sela, some folks find it much. Some very very few. Don't anyone out there think I'm saying that people, everyone wants to be homeless because it's fucking not true. There's a, a small percentage of folks that find it easier to not be housed. Right. I remember talking to one dude. I, he was in his 60s, and it was. He was ready to get housed, and I remember we were driving, got stuck in traffic on the um, freeway, so him and I had a long chat. We are driving to a housing appointment for him, and he was just telling me how the traumatic childhood he had and his time in the service and the racism and homophobia in the service at that time, and probably still now, caused him just not to want to be around folks and yeah. he quite enjoyed the peace and quiet and the able to think that he used to get being outside but it caught up to him and it was time to be housed he is housed now and that was maybe four years ago he's still housed which is okay. a good thing
0: yeah so you've been doing this work for a long time
1: yep my first volunteer gig was with L.A.Y.N. Um, it was off of Hollywood Boulevard in 1987 I then went. I was going to college. L.A. I'm a high school dropout, but I went back to college, LACC, and then Cal State LA. Uh, my first gig, gig out of college, was at a place called Travelers Aid Society, Los Angeles. Okay. It's a, they don't exist in LA anymore, which is a shame because they're a really cool organization. I worked for the Teen canteen, which was a drop-in center on Hollywood Boulevard, Hollywood and Argyle, between Argyle and Fountain. There's a big W Hotel, there right now. Uh, we were a little drop in center next to a tattoo parlor uh, where homeless youth ages 14 to 24 could drop in during the day for a shower, food, resources. I was the transitional housing coordinator, which meant I ran our, we rented units in the community and we put people, we placed youth there as a master lease um, program. And since then, um, I've always worked in social service. And I've, most of it has been with homeless. And if it hasn't been directly for homeless organization, it's been like for uh, Department of Family and Children's Services, where I was a social worker, but I worked with homeless families or Department of Public Social Services, which is the welfare office where I worked with homeless people who were either getting Medi-Cal or on GR, general relief, which is welfare for non-disabled, non-family connected folks.
0: What inspired you, like, what called you to to be present with people who were unhoused and help them?
1: When I was 16, I had to leave high school for lots of reasons that were really important then but are kind of stupid now. I had an apartment with an ex. We wound up losing that apartment, but we still squatted there, spent some time on the street. So I had some lived experience. I was, th- at that time, working in a warehouse in downtown L.A., um, I'd witnessed lots of immigration raids. Uh, one of the things was, if you weren't going to get arrested during an immigration raid, your job was to detain the immigration officer so your friends and everyone else could escape. One day I was doing that, and I pissed off the, the immigration officer tremendously, so he arrested me. And I deserved it. I mean, yeah. I, I, under this system, I des- I was interfering with their ability to do their job, and I was in the back of a van with a bunch of women I worked with, and all of them were moms of young kids. And I'm thinking to myself, what the fuck am I doing with my life? Partying and just having fun. I, we were housed at this time, so it was we were homeless for a bit. Got another apartment, so we were housed. What am I doing with my life just fucking around, playing in bands or, or getting high or whatever? And these little kids are gonna come home today and their, parent, their mom's not gonna be there. Right. So it was that time I said, I can't I can't be fucking around anymore. Let's go to school. So I walked onto the campus at LA at LACC, over mm-hmm. here on Vermont, and I said, I wanna help people So I started taking psychology classes. Then it was time to go to university and in the meantime I was still volunteering or just living in Hollywood and seeing homeless kids and just dealing and working and being friends with homeless kids, mm-hmm. homeless youth that were my age. That was like 18 or 19 at the time. So that was just a passion I got as I was doing my last two years of college. This is the population I want to work with. So as soon as I got my B.A., the first place I went to was homeless services. Wow,
0: well, that's so interesting. LA City College was ironically very instrumental in my activism around this issue as well. Oh, how cool. Yeah, I went there from 2008 to 2011 and was in student government and made a big push with the student government. Uh, they now evidently have a, a food pantry and a clothing share and all sorts of different things they do for students who are low-income and also unhoused. So
1: I'm really glad that universities, because even during my time at Um, Cal State LA there was a period of time I lived in my car Mm -hmm. and then my car had to go to the shop because the engine blew out that was really expensive so I lived on a vacant office on campus you know and I wasn't the only one right yeah we've always had homeless college students I'm just really happy it's just like such a great time where people are freaking paying attention to it
0: and people are able to be honest to the larger culture. Cause I think those of us that have been in school or have that experience of being low income and not having a lot of like financial capital or whatever, a lot of us were aware of that, but I don't think the larger culture of folks is aware of how big the issue is. I mean, I know so many people, community college, four-year schools, people that you would think don't ever struggle have struggled with not having housing when they were in school because it's a challenge and it's a sacrifice to go to school. And oftentimes people sacrifice their housing to get their degree.
1: Yeah. And you you also fool yourself when you're living in your car. I'm not homeless. I have a car. Right. You completely fool yourself. And it's not just students. It's everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And talk to anybody, besides those motherfuckers who are paying half a million dollars for their kid to take a fake test or something, but talk to most people, and they will tell you, and even probably the parents of some of those like mm-hmm. those people who are doing it, they probably may have struggled themselves. You know, talk to a group of actors, talk a group of writers or artists or workers at a, at a grocery store or something. I'm guessing, like, one out of five has slept in their car before. Right. But you don't consider yourself homeless if you're sleeping in your car, unless you're sleeping in your car for a long term. Right. If you're between apartments, maybe two or three months, you don't say, hey, I'm homeless. Just I'm looking for another apartment right now. I'm sleeping in my car. It is such a common thing. Mm -hmm. By the way, most of those folks do not get counted in the homeless counts. Right. It's not uncommon for people to be on the edge. And I think that makes it a whole lot easier for people to understand what it is to be homeless.
0: There's so many layers to it. Folks sleeping on the buses is a really big deal. And there's a lot of older women. um, Why say older, because I'm I'm in my 40s. But they're probably 50s and above. And at least every single bus I've gotten on in the evening, in the last year and a half that I've been back in Los Angeles, there is a woman who is 55 or older who was on the bus by herself, sleeping on the bus. And if you get on that bus on a regular basis, she's probably still on there.
1: Yep. And she's usually in the back. And most bus drivers are going to be decent. Mm -hmm. Except when they got to clean up some messes that will make them unhappy. But they're going to be decent. I know many bus drivers who won't even charge folks. Right. Because, you know. Yeah. (laughs) That really sucks with the subways because you can't even get on the subways without... It used to be you get on the subway here in L.A. without having to pay. Right,
0: with the honor system that they used to have. Yeah, now they've locked the turnstiles up that with, if you don't tap your card, you can't even get through the turnstile anymore.
1: Can you jump the turnstiles here?
0: Uh, I have seen people jump the turnstiles, but there are cameras, and there's so much Metro police and security on the Metro now. you would be a lot younger. Yeah, I don't know that I could jump the turnstile.
1: I know I, I could. I'd followed
0: my ass if I jumped the turnstile. So
1: It would be great on camera.
0: <laughs> right, exactly. That's for the real good stuff blooper reel. We'll get Dorit and I jumping the turnstile for Metro. We'll
1: both break a hip, dude. <laughs> right, exactly.
0: I might break both of them. But I used to Farravade, though, when I was younger, uh, when I was um, attending LA City College, and I was unhoused at that point. I wasn't on the street at that point. This is the first time in my life I've ever actually been on the street and been. Unhoused, but I used to fare evade all the time because I didn't have the money to get on the train. And in between semesters, when the student tap card wasn't going, and the student transportation fee or whatever, during the summer or whatever, I wouldn't have a way to get on the train. I wouldn't take the bus. I'd walk, or I would hop on the subway and I would fare evade.
1: A friend of mine, who I also know from social service, he told us a story once of where he just got on the bus, and the driver said the the fare is $1.35, and he says, I don't have a $1.35 to pay. And the driver just said, the fare is $1.35, but in no way try to stop him from getting on the bus. And he was new to just being fucked up. He was new to being, his drug use had gotten so out of control that he was now homeless. Mm-hmm. And he said it, it dawned on him that the driver didn't care and wasn't going to stop him, just had to do what the driver's job was to do and remind him what right. the fare is. And he said he just went to sit down, and the driver said nothing to him again. Yeah. I only remember one time getting on the bus when we were pretty broke and my daughter was little. She was under five, but she was tall. So the driver said, you know, I got to pay for him like she's under five. So we went back and forth with that. And that driver was being a little bit of a stickler. Right. But otherwise, I I remember many a times when I might have been a dime or a nickel short, and Mm -hmm. drivers have been really cool.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, and technically, I mean this could be a whole other podcast about the federal subsidization of public transportation Uh, but the fares that we pay actually doesn't cover anything but maybe even a small fraction of like less than 10 percent of what it actually costs to operate the metro system in Los Angeles it's federally subsidized so technically we're all supposed to be allowed to ride for free and hopefully at some point there's cities in Europe that are actually doing that now.
1: It doesn't make sense with how difficult it is to park and how I mean what is it right now a little bit before two look at the freeway over oh, yeah. there you know it's stand still it, it's <laughs> right? ridiculous buses and subways should just be free mm-hmm. they should be free we should charge more for gas and by the way i have a car the little yellow one over there so it's not like i'm saying this and i right. don't drive we should charge more for gas we should i'm parked for free right now this should be not free parking right because if this wasn't free parking And if gas was more expensive, I would have taken the bus here today. Mm -hmm. Getting off of homelessness, totally, no, I I know that, but...
0: It's totally fine. (laughs) Because this is related.
1: Bus transportation should be free. We would have less drivers if it Mm -hmm. was. Of course, that stupid Uberness and Lyft, and by the way, I use those. um, (laughs) Make it so we have less bus riders as well. But if it was free, we would have more.
0: As far as... So you have some lived experience. You do know what it's like to not know where you're going to lay your head at night or not have a bed. for.
1: I do, a but way. not, I'm one of those people who is short term. Okay. You know, uh, had to get out of an apartment, squatting, had to get out maybe a month or two between hotel, car, having a job still when I was working in the factories and the warehouses. And then again, after that relationship fell apart. Sleeping in a car, still going to work, car blew up, sleeping on campus, getting to work sometimes five or six hours early because I was working graveyard shift mm-hmm. at a group home in the valley, getting to work early, finding a place just to nap while I was waiting for my shift mm-hmm. to start because I didn't want my coworkers to know I didn't have a place to right. live. So mine is very, very, very little. Mine is what I think probably 20% of the population has. Okay. I wasn't chronic. I wasn't long-term. I do have a little bit of experience, but I've never long-term had to sleep on a sidewalk. I've never long-term not known where my stuff could be stored. Mm -hmm. Even when my car had blown up or it was in the shop and all that, I had a place to stash my crap. I had professors on campus that were letting me stash my crap there.
0: Okay. So you use the term chronic, and some of our listeners may not know what the word chronic means when it comes to homelessness. Could you explain that for our listeners?
1: The federal term for chronically homeless is a person who's been homeless for a year or more with one or more disabilities. It used to be you could have a certain amount of episodes, like five episodes in four years, and be considered chronically homeless. I don't know if that's changed or not since I stopped working. Because it was talked about changing when I was still working. Now, I stopped working in 2016. Now, that's the federal definition of chronic. My personal definition of chronic is, I'm going to say, anyone who has slept outside for more than a month. Okay. Okay. And that's my personal definition. It has nothing to do with the federal government says. When I okay. say someone's chronic, that's what I mean. Okay.
0: There's a lot of people as well, because you mentioned like employment. I know a lot of people who are unhoused that also have jobs exactly. and hold down jobs. And some of them sleep outside and hold down a job. And they still hold down their job and they're still at work on time.
1: 60,000 people are homeless in LA by last count. And that doesn't even count the people I'm talking about right. are interim homeless or yeah. whatever. And there's 60,000 different stories and mm-hmm. 60,000 different individuals. Not everyone is exactly the same. Yeah, there is plenty of people who are homeless. I'm pretty sure there's no Starbucks around here, but if we went to a Starbucks, Wait. I'm pretty sure at least one of the staff there would be considered homeless.
0: I think this is the only corner in L.A. where <laughs> there's not a Starbucks.
1: <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's a park with a swimming pool that's not open. Um, well, the park's open, but the pool's not. There's Griffith Park. And then there's a fountain where we're at, and then a corner with a whole mess of trees.
0: Yeah. It's a beautiful spot.
1: It is a gorgeous spot. Yeah. It's surrounded by traffic and freeways. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, the work that you do with Sila, how long have you been doing that?
1: I started the Silver Lake Homeless Coalition in 2014. I was working in Pasadena at a place called Union Station Homeless Services when... Coordinated Entry System, which is a county program for trying to get everyone who is homeless into a system to get them housing and resources, was dished out into pilot programs. Union Station was one of the pilot programs in uh, that district that we would call it Spa 3, but the San Gabriel mm-hmm. Valley area. I said, man, this is working really great. I want to bring it to my neighborhood. So I started the Homeless Coalition, and I talked to United Way. and United Way hooked me up with Homeless Healthcare LA. So every, every other weekend I went out with a group of volunteers and we did the, did, took out the paperwork and interviewed individuals to enroll them into the coordinated entry system. The paperwork was called the VI SPADAT. I forget what it stood for. Got like 80 people in Silver Lake, everyone who was on the street in Silver Lake who was willing to do this into the system, but then discovered I didn't have case management services for these folks. So with the exception of a couple of people, no one got services. And that was because I just I didn't have case managers. I then went to graduate school. Still had the homeless coalition. Just basically meant going out and talking to people and and, and engaging with people every other weekend with a group of very small volunteers. I think it was about 2015. A lady named Nithya, this powerhouse who was like seven months pregnant with twins, um, found me and said, "Let's have coffee. Okay, okay, we'll talk about it." I'm, she's going, "I want to end homelessness. I want to do all this stuff." I'm like. Chick, you, 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 you've got two swins in you. <laughs> what the hell do you think you're gonna do? So, um, we made contact, and then she called me about a year later and said, "Well, I found some other people. So let's start some kind of coalition." I said, "Okay, sure, I'll meet with y'all." So I met with her and a dude named Darius. Both of them are Silver Lake. Both of them were on the, were working with a sort of like homeless Silver Lake homelessness and Silver Lake, which is part of the neighborhood council. Um, and then they knew these other two people who were in Las Feliz, uh, ja- Janet and Kat Kim. So we all got together, and it's like, okay, cool, let's give this a try. And with the power of these other four people, and they're really good at th- what they're good at, we're able to get service providers, and because we're larger now, we were able mm-hmm. to get a bunch of volunteers that wanted to do this. we were able to get service providers to agree to go out and see the people we met with. So we'll go out on a Sunday, we'll find three people who say, yeah, I want to be linked to service, and we'll email our service provider partners, and I'm not going to say who they are because I don't have the permission to do so. Right. And then the next week, somebody went out and saw a person, or whoever wanted to be seen. And that worked really good. That Our first engagement was about a, maybe two years ago. Okay. It was about 2017, I, I think it was May or June. So... And we've been doing it ever since. Yeah. Uh, now we have what's called LA Hop, which is this portal website thing that you enter people's information in. Instead of us contacting the service providers we usually use with, worked with, we use that, and then they send out a case manager. And that worked great for the first few months, but now it's so overburdened, it doesn't work as well. So we still do that, and we still call our service provider mm-hmm. friends. So that's what we do. We go out and we do engagements. We do our engagements. We run into a lot of folks that are already linked up with some kind of service provider or something, but maybe they haven't spoken to a service provider for a while because they were one place. Now they're another place. Mm-hmm. So what we do then is we say, okay, so your service na- provider's name is Jane Smith. And do you know who Jane Smith worked with? No, I don't. So we'll contact PATH okay. and say, hey, we met this guy named Bobby and his case manager Jane Smith. He doesn't know where she works. Do you know where Jane Smith works? And can you help us out? And we'll get an email back, yeah, yeah Jane Smith works for XYZ and we'll let her know where Bobby is and what Bobby needs. So then we try to link people back up to their case managers. Okay, And we go out as friends and neighbors. We don't go out as case managers. Right. We're going out as neighbors, just like if you're going to bump into somebody while you're at Vaughn's, your neighbor, you're not going to have that relationship of case manager to client. Mm-hmm. You are have a neighbor to neighbor and right. you're going to ask your neighbor, how's it going? I haven't seen you out in the streets. Hey, you haven't seen your dog lately. Or, you know, mm-hmm. you do talk to people like they're your neighbors and they tell your story. And sometimes our conversations have absolutely nothing to do with homelessness. They have to do with sports or the weather or something, but it's just being somebody's neighbor. Mm -hmm. And that is what we do. We're not out there being service providers, but when someone's willing to have a service provider, we will hook them up with them.
0: It's so important because it's one of the things when I went to the volunteer training or meeting that you all had at the Edendale branch of the library in Echo Park, and I was so stunned because I've been following you all on Facebook for a while but i was busy on sundays for a long time and so i wasn't able to uh come and volunteer because i was i was occupied with some stuff that i was trying to do with a nonprofit to get myself into housing and and full-time employment and things like that and i remember the week that i saw you all used the words unhoused and neighbors in the post about this meeting at the library and I was like, I gotta go, I gotta get there. <laughs> and I was so excited because hearing you all talk, because it was pretty clear that, that nobody that was up in front of the room had any lived experience with being chronically homeless, right? Um, but the fact of what you just said, the power of what you just said, that a lot of folks that I meet as I've been in this experience, they want to talk to me about homelessness or what I've done wrong or what's led me to this situation. What you done, yeah, done wrong. What have I done? They want to <laughs> victim blame me rather than talking about gentrification and displacement and mental health and homophobia and all these other things um, that can lead somebody or have led me to this situation. Uh, and... So rare was it that folks would just want to have a conversation about something that didn't have anything to do with the fact that I didn't have a place to live. And that's so powerful because so many of the people that I've met that have the shared experience of being homeless or being unhoused or being chronically without a home. They just want to be heard. They just want someone to just be with them. And not have to talk about what they did wrong or what their bad situation is, but just be a human being and just be heard. And I, that, to me, is the most powerful thing about what you all do with Sila is this being present with people as fellow human beings.
1: And, and we're just neighbors. You know, a lot of our conversations are around people's pets. Yeah. Because I'm a cat person. Oh, really? And I want to talk about my cats. God damn it. I'm going to.
0: How many cats do you have?
1: We have three right now, and then we have what we, who we call Neighbor Kitty, which is a cat that lives next door, but for some reason hangs out in our front porch all the fucking time.
0: <laughs> because our you're ca- personable. And
1: our cats hate him. <laughs> our cats are all over 10 years old, and Neighbor Kitty's maybe a year and a half old, and okay. Neighbor Kitty wants to play, and our cats want to sit in the sun. <laughs> So that, that, you know, but I'd rather talk to folks because everyone has a dog, right? Yeah. Um, and a few people have cats. Oh, yeah. And, and and you just talk about people, about their pets. And people would rather talk about their pets than their kids sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, so you just talk to people about their pets. Yeah. Uh, Darius, who you remember seeing in our mm-hmm. presentation, yeah. is like the most people person I've ever met. And he'll start talking to people about sports.
0: Oh, cool. You know? Yeah. I don't know. Cool. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, I don't like sports either, but that's cool. It's cool they can relate around that. <laughs> you
1: know, and just, you just talk to somebody. Okay, a little story here. Yeah. Um, my husband, we've been married for many years, um, always supported what I did. I did it before I met him. Always cool about it, but never really engaged in it. There was a gentleman who lived in a park, uh, a traffic island. Mm-hmm. on Sunset and um, Griffith Park Boulevard, across okay. the street from 99 Cent Store. Yeah, There's there this farmer's market there every Saturday. So my husband would go to the farmer's market, and my husband was likes Led Zeppelin. He's wearing a Led Zeppelin t-shirt. There's a dude who lives there named Dan, or did live there. Um, and then one day they were wearing the same Led Zeppelin t-shirt, so they started talking about Led Zeppelin. And then we were started doing the... The Silver Lake Homeless Collision started doing the engagements there at the park. And him and Dan, the guy's name was Dan, became really good friends. Mm-hmm. And then he started becoming friends with Dan's friends, you know, other people at the park. And they're all in the same age range. They're right. all born about the same year. So you also know you, you have more things to talk about yeah. someone who's your same age yeah. because music, right. fa- fashion, whatever. So they became really... Al and, and Dan became friends. They would... We won some tickets tickets to a Dodger game through a radio station, and I'm not about to go. But Dan loved the Dodgers. Al likes the Dodgers, so they took the bus to Dodger Stadium. I think they sold the parking pass, <laughs> and they just went to a Dodger game together. You know, there was they became friends, and that is a really cool thing. It's like you have things in common. Folks who are homeless are are not. Most are not born homeless. Most are not born... They're not aliens from, like, Mars that come down here with completely different ways of looking at stuff. There's going to be someone out there you can relate to. Just Mm -hmm. like any friend that you're going to meet at, you know, at work or or at school or, or, you know, a neighborhood restaurant. They're folks. And either you're going to like each other or you're not. You can be friends with somebody who's unhoused. You could be... Hate somebody who is housed, you know. we're, We're just all people. And I... I would love everyone to know that everyone who is unhoused is just another human being and just another person. Yeah. A buddy of mine, Mark, um, does interviews people who are homeless and puts that out there. Um, And that's cool because he's exposing people. He's letting people know who people are.
0: Invisible people, yeah. Yeah. Mark Horvath, yeah.
1: yeah. Um, And and there's other other folks who are homeless who have... um, Podcast, I don't, and all those other things on YouTube and stuff that I really don't 100% understand. But they're just saying this is who we are. Mm -hmm. And it really is helping people relate. And I think that's the reason, I'm hoping that's the reason LA voters voted to uh, put so much money into homeless services and to housing because they saw folks as folks. Right. And then, of course, you have the dickheads out there who are... Trying to demonize everybody. And I I can also understand how scary it can be. Mm -hmm. Um, There is severe mental illness out there, there is drugs out there that I can't even fathom. Uh, I mean, PCP is making a comeback, and that makes people pretty bananas. So you can get people in the streets screaming their their brains out, right. you know, and that could be scary.
0: Yeah, well, but as what happened to me when I had my uh, my backpack was stolen in September, and when I was sleeping outside, ironically, by LA City College, before I made this move to sleep over in this neighborhood, uh, and it was so interesting because I kept beating myself up and I kept feeling bad, and one of my friends said to me one day, he said, "Do you realize?" He goes. I've had my house broken into. He goes, you understand that having your stuff stolen isn't just something that people who are unhoused go through, because he's been homeless before in his life as well. But he explained that to me and had to help me kind of remember. And that's the thing that I... There's people that are housed that have severe mental illness. There are people Mm -hmm. that are housed that use PCP and have severe drug addictions that make a lot of money. Um, There's people that are extremely violent that are housed. But because they're housed, we don't see their violence or their drug addiction or their mental illness as easily because they're behind walls. And
1: when they do something, the newspaper doesn't say Joe Smith, who lives in a condo. Right. But they will say Joe Smith, who is homeless. Yeah, fuck the media by the way. Fuck the TV <laughs> stations. Fuck um Oh God, those are just awful, aren't they? Yeah. Um I, I I understand some people have some issues with LASA, Los Angeles Homeless Service Authority, but the way one certain T V station is a dog with a bone and like looking through all all their books and everything to find something wrong. I remember a couple years ago, there were a reporter was like, and one of those investigative reporters mm-hmm. was like, you guys spend, you, you give your staff fancy shoes. Well, staff that is working on Skid Row, they are issued just like they're issued one T-shirt or one or two T-shirts. They are issued certain certain shoes that are safety shoes because it is pretty fucked down there. Yeah. Okay. It is pretty fucked. And if your work, if you try walking on the river or in certain brush, you're not going to be able to do that with a right. pair of shoes you buy at Payless. Yeah. It, it's just the same as when I used to work for Foster Freeze, mm-hmm. which doesn't even exist anywhere, I don't think. I worked at the Foster Freeze in Santa Monica when I was a kid. We were issued two t-shirts mm-hmm. that we were given as part of, you know, if right. you got I'm dirty, you to buy, buy a new one. It's the same damn thing. Yeah. But this investigative reporter was like nailing it for that or... Um, it was discovered that a few of the agencies they work with were not completely compliant with st- uh, state filing regulations mm-hmm. which by the way isn't cool and it shouldn't have happened but to say they're squandering money and they're hiding money and they're wasting money when by the before the story even came out all of them had come cl- all the agencies had come clean and gotten mm-hmm. caught up so it media really is trying to make this much worse than it is
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, but I do think that some of the larger organizations uh, do have a long way to go. Uh, And that's, I think, the power of volunteer run organizations like A Million Drops that sponsors these podcasts that I've been recording and also like Sila. And I'm thinking of the Shower of Hope as another really good example. You know, a lot of these volunteer-run organizations, we're all doing the heavy lifting.
1: We're doing part of the heavy lifting. I'm not gonna say that Homeless Healthcare LA or PATH or uh, People Concern are not doing some heavy lifting because they are doing some heavy lifting. There's some hard ass gigs and there's some really good people out there. I hope you're right. Um, I know (laughs) I'm right, I do know I'm right. I don't have to do HMIS case notes which is the computer-based program that we would that people service providers have to do. I don't have to follow certain regulations mm-hmm. as a CELA volunteer. Obviously I'm I'm required to be a mandated reporter so that's mm-hmm. something I have to do anyway. But as volunteers there are certain things we don't have to do. And that is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. So it gives it frees us to do other stuff mm-hmm. like case notes. We do case notes, but we don't do the intense case notes you do as a service provider. Right. Uh, because stuff gets audited and we don't have to get copies of IDs and we don't have to mm-hmm. we don't have to scan IDs. There's, there's so many things as service as volunteers that we don't have to do that service providers do have to do. Uh, I, never, I don't have to ch- check anyone's time cards <laughs> which is really great. I don't have to worry about anyone's vacation time. Love being a volunteer love or, running a volunteer organization or being one of the runners of a volunteer organization. But I'm, I'm certainly not going to diss dis the homeless service provider and, uh, organizations because I know at least one person at each agency is doing great work. Mm-hmm. And I, can, I can't even, offhand, I have to tell you, I couldn't even think of an agency that I think should just go away. Yeah. But then I've only really worked for good agencies. I've been yeah. very lucky.
0: Yeah. I don't think any of them should go away. I just think that we all, regardless of who we are and who we work with and who we volunteer with, we all have room to grow. And I think that's the thing that there's there's such power in these organizations. And I don't think it relies in the not having reporting work to do. I think it <laughs> relies in uh, the humanity, you know, in the, in the understanding and the getting. Because this conversation that I'm having with you and, and the feeling that I had in that Sila volunteer meeting, I don't have those feelings when I go to some of these larger organizations and talk to those folks because they're so caught in... Textbook language. It's kind of like I equate it to like when you go to college or you go to school and you learn this really great stuff in the classroom and you've learned this stuff in a book and you're like, I'm going to do this and we're going to do this and we're going to make a difference. And then you go out into the world and you find out that what you learned in the book really isn't what things really are, that somebody wrote that stuff down, but that's not what real life is. And I think that's kind of where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, I guess is a good way to say it because we're talking about housing and, uh, Folks like me who have slept on the concrete, um, realizing that, again, these are human beings and they're not numbers and they're not a form in a computer somewhere and they're not on a database sheet or something. Um, And I think that's what ends up getting lost with a lot of these bigger organizations is the people that are trying to advocate for these folks. But it's that human being part, remembering that these are human beings, like you said, like the 60,000 people in Los Angeles, there's 60,000 Different stories, and that's what people forget. And we oftentimes, I think, do that sometimes as as advocates.
1: Well, like when you talk about the large organizations, say you're going to go to a meeting that loss is putting on. loss I love you. Um, there's a lot of great people, at LASA, so I'm not dissing them at all. Especially the outreach workers, freaking love them. But at a Lassa meeting, you will have the suits, mm-hmm. the gray suits, or navy blue, or maybe tan or black. Okay, they're suits. The pantyhose and sensible heels. You'll have those folks. Right. And it's not just Lasso who are those folks, so don't get me wrong, everybody. It's just people who work in the city council mm-hmm. office or the mayor's office or any form of government who don't know any fucking homeless people. Right. Really. Yeah. yeah. They know Joe, who's in front of the 99 cent store, but they don't really know Joe. Joe's probably not even his goddamn name. Mm-hmm. But... They, they don't really know homeless folks. They are the suits. Mm-hmm. Um, they mean well. They have to... They've got skills I don't have. They do the accounting. They do the statistics. They do a lot of that crap they, I don't want to do.
0: Thank you for <laughs> handling numbers for those of us that are people people.
1: <laughs> or thank you for handling numbers because... <laughs> statistics. What the hell is that? Okay. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um,
1: they, they do very important shit. But when they're the ones organizing and mm-hmm. running the meetings... They also don't curse. For the most part, they're not going to be in front of an audience <laughs> cursing. Like, a lot of times I'm not allowed to speak because <laughs> 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 I like to curse, and that's just the way it is. But they, they don't always know any homeless folks, so right. they're not really speaking, speaking, speaking. Sometimes people who have come from outreach make it up to the top, and they are allowed to go out and speak, or they do go out and speak, and they speak eloquently. But for the most part, the outreach workers, people who actually do the day-to-day dirty, dirty, we shouldn't be put in front of audiences you don't think so (laughs) god no honestly i think some of us would scare the hell out of neighbors the best outreach worker the best homeless case manager has got real lived experience and I mean real live, like lived in the shelter themselves, have lost things. They have the real experience. I love how the Department of Health Service actually does peer-to-peer support. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. Because these are people who can go out and say bullshit to, or call the bullshit that someone says when they say mm-hmm. why they can't get housed. Yeah. So love that. But some of us are on the raw side. Mm-hmm. And some of us should just not be in public, just not be in front of polite audiences.
0: (laughs) I don't know. You were asked to get up in front of the room when uh, some questions about NIMBYism and other things and uh, the conversation at that volunteer meeting kind of started going more towards like, how do we be in community with the NIMBYs and talking to the NIMBYs rather than the real reason we were there was to talk about talking with folks who were unhoused. And I seem to recall you were the person that was brought to the front of the room to kind of unpack that for everybody, and you did quite a great job.
1: (laughs) I was so nervous at that training. Next time, I'm going to do it with PowerPoint, because I actually had cue cards so I could do the techniques and how to work with people. Mm -hmm. But I completely blanked out because I didn't have my cue cards. So next time, it's going to be a PowerPoint, so I can read the PowerPoint. But I really tried not to curse at Mm -hmm. that training. But yeah, it it did go a little bit off-center, but we took it back.
0: I was really pleased because I think that the topic of compassion fatigue and um nimbyism and all of this and there's a really great quote and i'm gonna pronounce her last name Roy is her last name. Andurathi Roy, I think is her name. And she has this really great quote. It's my Facebook cover photo right now. And basically one of the lines is they may be few and we are many or something like that. But it's basically there's more of us that care because this stuff wouldn't have passed. Proposition H and HHH and all of these things. These things would not be happening if people didn't care, organizations like you all, like Sela, like Koreatown for All, there's so many organizations like this where people actually care, these things wouldn't be happening. If NIMBYs, if these not in my backyard type of people, if they were the dominant in the culture, organizations like Sela, organizations like a million drops, organizations like Koreatown for All, these volunteer run organizations, they wouldn't exist.
1: Exactly. And we get a lot of volunteers and Koreatown for All gets a whole lot of volunteers. Don't they? They're really good at social media stuff. Yeah, Um,
0: they're good and always. I follow them constantly (laughs) on Facebook. I love their stuff.
1: I'm really bad at following crap on Facebook. To me, Facebook is just about cats. (laughs) It really—that's all it should be about—is about felines.
0: (laughs) Feline book. I'm feline great today. Oh, that's clever. (laughs) I should have worn. I have a shirt that says that. I'm feeling great right meow. Yeah, it just <laughs> it's it's Perfect so, for this moment. <laughs>
1: so I, and I don't understand Twitter. I,
0: Oh, I don't have Twitter. I can't say anything in that few characters.
1: I don't want to do more than I already have to when no. it comes to stuff. I'd like to read a book, like sit down and read a book and not, not don't like screen time. We do have a great deal of volunteer organizations out there and more people. So many people came to the training from like Palos Verdes or other places who want to do this themselves. And we're trying to figure out how to do it. I'm going to be moving to the West Adams district probably the end of this year okay gonna try to figure out how to start something like this there okay so just we want to do more of this we want to partner with the service providers of course the big trick is getting housing Mm -hmm. you mentioned gentrification is one of the reasons that you wound up on the streets yes i'm originally from santa monica grew Mm -hmm. up there it was basically i left in 1980 um santa monica in the 70s was fucking wonderful uh bikers, disgruntled hippies, and Eastern European refugees, and about 25% Mexican or Mexican-American, and then a large population of black folks who came to Santa Monica around to work in the factories during World War II. Mm -hmm. Great community to grow up in, very working class, knew where to get my dope when I wanted it Mm -hmm. under the pier. Um, It was a great place to grow up. My mom and dad got smart, bought a lot of property. When I was a kid, it was dirt cheap, Mm -hmm. really crappy area. No one wanted to live there, but people could live there cheaply, right? People could live cheaply. A a waitress who's an artist could easily have her own place, a tiny place and still have decency and have dignity. That doesn't exist anymore in Santa Monica. There's no way that's going to happen. Yeah. And I benefited from it because when my mom passed away, I did sell some property for a whole lot more money. She paid for it, which allowed me to buy the property in L.A., which I'm now mm-hmm. renting out to homeless folks, for only homeless folks. But I saw that community completely get destroyed mm-hmm. from gentrification. I'm in Silver Lake now, have been here since 97. It is completely paved over and horrible now. Yeah. It used to be so freaking cool and now there was south of sunset north of sunset i was south of sunset i'm white as you can Mm -hmm. see by looking at me no white person was sending their kid to the local elementary school because they were scared of all the hispanic kids you know we sent our daughter there she had a great education there Mm -hmm. great great education nobody would live where we're living Mm -hmm. you know we bought there because it was cheap and because people accepted that my husband and i were different races Mm -hmm. and we live there Now everything has changed. I still have some original neighbors who haven't moved, whose Mm -hmm. kids are now in their apartments type of thing. But otherwise it's horrible. It is fucking horrible. It is not a place I like being anymore. There's no no place that you can feel comfortable. I still feel comfortable with some of my original neighbors Mm -hmm. or their kids, but otherwise it's just awful. It is really awful. We do have a few good people. I have Silver Lake Homeless Collection, we got some good Mm -hmm. people. For the most part, it's these stores that are just awful Mm -hmm. um and neighbors that are moving in who have our property values not human values right people who come to some of our meetings to scream and holler about the homeless encampment in front of the uh, condo they bought and spent way too much money for and that person doesn't deserve to live here even though they lived here before they got here
0: and probably lived in that neighborhood and were housed in that neighborhood before
1: that got torn down and built that condo yeah because people stay where they're from Mm -hmm. people don't come to LA because the weather is better People yeah. are homeless in LA because they were in LA. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see it all in Highland Park, Echo Park, Silver Lake. Gentrification is ruining and is increasing homelessness. Now it's not the only reason for homelessness. Right. There is sixty thousand people. There's sixty thousand reasons for homelessness. Right. But it's a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, so gentrification is really, really. It is ruining neighborhoods. It's causing homelessness, and it's just it's just ruining communities. Well, it's such a it's <laughs>
0: such a bigger issue when you. Lhasa recently, during the month of February, started doing a lot of organizing around the linkage between homelessness and racism.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. How many of black so, people are homeless?
0: So grateful is the wrong word. Not even thankful because it makes it almost sound like I'm thankful that, that people have been redlined and, and pushed out. Applause to Lhasa for acknowledging it, for such yeah. a large organization that doesn't have to go to task with something like that, that a lot of people... Because some people go, oh, doesn't everyone know what redlining is? No, I don't think they know what redlining is. That at one point in our history of the city, and even sometimes now, when you look at cities like Pasadena or Santa Monica, there were real estate covenants. A lot of places in Los Angeles and a lot of cities around the United States, people who weren't white couldn't own property in those cities. And so you and I, as white folks, could own property. We don't really talk about that now because it's kind of hush-hush, and unless you're a property owner, you might not see that in the original real estate documents of the property that you have the privilege of buying. But just acknowledging that and seeing what's happening and seeing, well, the neighborhood that I was living in at the, I called it the mouth of Silver Lake Boulevard, right there at Virgil and Beverly, right there at the entrance to the 101. I lived behind that big public storage building right there on Westmoreland. These little castle apartments. It was a beautiful little neighborhood when I moved in. Nobody knew about it. I was the second white person to move into my block. And one of my neighbors said, the minute that you see a white woman walking out by herself in the evening and a dog. with a dog or jogging alone, a white woman, you'll know that this neighborhood's been gentrified. I didn't believe them. This was the year 2000, right? I had moved in. I was paying $515 a month for a single, a huge single apartment. It was huge. Beautiful, view of the Hollywood sign, great. Not the best neighborhood in the world, because again, it had been a lot of ways purposefully disinvested because it wasn't even really Koreans that were living in the neighborhood. It was a lot of Central American immigrants, people that were African American, or folks with brown skin. Each year, the rent was going up exponentially, and I thought it was under rent control. By the time I moved out in 2008, they were renting out the apartments for $1,000 a month, and they were trying to charge me $1,000. And I said, you know what, I can't afford this. With the money that I was making, I could not afford $1,000 a month for rent because that was too much of my income. And so I thought I've got to go and I got to do something else. That was about the time that I started attending LA City College. And I've never recovered. I went back to Oregon at one point when I transferred to Portland State in 2011 and did finally in my hometown have an apartment for about $600 a month for about three years. But once our dear friend that's currently occupying the White House came into power, I didn't feel so safe uh, where I was grew up in Oregon anymore. And I wanted to come back to Southern California, which I had considered home for so long. I got back here knowing what was happening. But good luck trying to find anything for under thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars $1,400 a month if you want to live by yourself. Mm-hmm. And what neighborhood are you going to find that in? Very few neighborhoods are you going to find that in Los Angeles right now. And I know people that are spending 80 to 90% of their income on their housing right now.
1: And that's so undoable. Maybe if you're doing it for a month or two because you're between jobs, but in the long run, that's so undoable. Now, your apartment that you had, if it was a cute little apartment, I'm guessing it was an older building. So how could they keep raising your rent? Was it because they just did and you didn't know it was under rent control?
0: Well, what happened was uh, the building got sold while I was living there, so someone knew. And so then what would happen was then as people would move out, they would redo the apartment and they would expose the wood floors and expose the brick wall, you know, kind of like what they did to Silver Lake. They but made your, it look all hip. But and, your
1: apartment wasn't... If your par- if you were in your apartment and you were there, they were only allowed to raise at 3% if it was under rent control, which was built before 1978. Oh, yeah. Did they just push you out because they kept they were telling you we're gonna raise your rent you're gonna and you just didn't know that you could fight it
0: yeah I don't think I knew any better at that point I wasn't the activist that I am now I was kind of a little bit more concerned with
1: going to work going to school yeah well eating. and
0: and what I was gonna do you know with my own life I didn't really realize the activist that I am now I mean that was you know that was more than 10 years ago and I was kind of just getting my footing as to who I am in the world and yeah
1: Frankly, when I was still a renter before I bought my house, I, I knew rent control in Santa Monica because my parents were mm-hmm. landlords. I didn't know what rent control was here in L.A. I knew it existed and I knew the apartments I was in had it and no one ever really tried to jack up our rent. We got lucky, but we we bought our house before things started going bananas. Mm-hmm. I just don't think most people like you they're They were just like, you're going to school. You're you want to have a right. social life. Yeah. You want to have a social life, and sometimes that means you're not, and that was before computers, you are not going through and trying to figure out how much you're allowed to raise your rent. You make a contract with everyone else in the world, and you say, I'm going to be a decent person. I expect you to be a decent person. And the person you're saying that to who happens to be a shitty landlord isn't going to be a decent Mm -hmm. person. I really would like us to be able to let everyone know what their rights are because so many people don't know what their rights are they'll go on to next door or facebook and say what are my rights and 10 or 20 people will tell them what their rights are and they won't even have it right. Yeah. I told you I sold property in Santa Monica. Mm-hmm. I sold I was executor of my mom's estate. She had 9 pieces of property. One belonged to one of my brothers, four belonged to me, and then he and I shared another four. Okay. The ones that we shared, I was mandated as executor to sell them to pay for the estate tax. Okay. I know one of those everyone got evicted afterwards. Do I feel like an asshole about it? Yeah, I do. Do I wish it could have been changed? Yeah. But there was nothing I could do. I had a mandate from everyone right. who was, that I had to sell it. We had to yeah. pay the estate tax. Did those people get a payoff? I hope they did. The ones I sold in my own name, I found out two years later that the, the owner is Ellising one of the buildings. I sold it to the same owner, mm-hmm. all of them to the same guy. I didn't think he was going to Ellis. Um, and he is, and there's nothing I can do about it. So I know and what these, is that? Oh, Ellis act, uh, kicking people, uh, going out of the rental market. Okay. All the tenants in that building were tenants from between 10 and 60 years. Some of those were tenants when my mom bought the place. So oh, these wow. are old people. Like one was my English teacher, you know, like wow. th- this, this is, and you know, these people are now going to have to find another place to be. And, and it sucks. It really just sucks. Yeah. <laughs> It, I couldn't keep the property more because actually our property tax went out to the point where the rent was not covering mm-hmm. even a quarter of the property tax. Yeah. So it was unfathomable for me to even own it. Right. I would like to see the powers that be change it. Like, okay, if you're going to be a landlord that takes Section Eight or take housing vouchers, or if you have long-term tenants that are paying way below market rate, your property tax could be lower. Yeah. Um. Section Eight is a federal program. It starts in the feds, moves it way down, uh, and then the county of LA issues housing vouchers as mm-hmm. well. The county of LA could say, "You take one of our housing vouchers, we'll reduce your property tax." The federal government could say, "If you take someone with a Section Eight voucher, we'll give you a tax credit." There is ways that those accountants, that you know, the ones that are in the nice suits who are in front mm-hmm. of public, yeah. the people that know how to do ma- know mm-hmm. how to how the whole system works, they could figure out ways. So, we can make housing more equitable. Now, does that mean the assholes that are charging way too much and are greedy, shitty landlords and horrible, horrible human beings that deserve to fucking die should also get those breaks? If they're doing good, maybe. Mm-hmm. If they reduce rents for people, maybe. I hate all of them because they give the rest of us a bad name and they're mm-hmm. just horrible human beings, but also there are only a few of us. Right. Most housing providers, landlords, landladies, whatever title we have, are really decent human beings mm-hmm. there's only a few that are the assholes like the owners of your building mm-hmm. there's ways that we could fight gentrification and there's actually nothing wrong with people having money either mm-hmm. there is nothing wrong with somebody who got lucky and has a skill and that skill somebody wants to pay for right whether it's being a basketball player or being an actress mm-hmm. there's absolutely nothing wrong with that But that person should be allowed to live in a community where somebody who doesn't have those skills or ability could also live in. Right. One thing I have to say about the Santa Monica I grew up in, it was split down the middle on Wilshire Boulevard. North of Wilshire was very wealthy. South of Wilshire was not. Right. We grew up south of Wilshire. Like I say, loved it. But our high school was completely mixed. The junior high was mixed. And that was cool. You could mm-hmm. be in a classroom sitting next to the daughter of your pediatrician, and you could be a waitress's kid. So that, that was cool. A, mix, mm-hmm. a mixed income community is a great thing. Right. It would be really cool if we could use policies and laws and tax programs and all that other stuff to give us mixed income communities. And to me, that's the ultimate in um, integration. Mm-hmm. Is not just integrating people based on ethnicity or skin color, but mm-hmm. integrating us based on income as well.
0: Well, because classism is kind of the new discrimination, you know. It's it's really easy because I think that's what's happening, you know, with people who are unhoused or these folks because there were so many folks that I wasn't really paying attention to when I uh, moved back here to LA and decided to do this advocacy work as I found myself on the sidewalk and was like, what am I going to do? Oh, I'm going to advocate for people, right, that are in my situation uh, with the shared experience that I have. And then I began to attend all these different churches because I discovered that churches were doing a lot of the work as well. And the more people that I talked to and the more people that I encountered, the more people that I realized that had housing that were terrified that they were going to end up un- unhoused as well because of this whole concept of just the cost of living being so high and it's not just here people talk about it being high here in LA it's high everywhere across the United States right now and people don't realize that that um, it's not just Los Angeles it's happening everywhere where the the what people are spending on The cost of their actual housing is so much compared to what it was just a few years ago um, that a lot of people are doing everything they can to piece things together to make that happen. And that was something I hadn't even occurred to me that that they're kind of like in that spot where I was back in the early 2000s where I had friends who were outside Who were sleeping outside who were talking to me about the problem I was listening and I was giving them food and I was talking to them and off the record we were smoking cannabis together (laughs) and things like that um and I was really making friends and a couple of them I've run into that since being back in LA this time but at the time I didn't get it because I wasn't to that point of actually having lost my place to live I didn't really understand the urgency of it now I do because that same neighborhood I probably wouldn't be able to go back into that neighborhood if I'm not adjacent mistaken, to Koreatown. There's
1: there's a Jack's Waffle House there now, on Virgil, right close to the close to First Street, and that just to me smells okay. Here's gentrification. Oh yeah, there's this yellow, red, white painted place called Jack's Waffle House,
0: and I used <laughs> to eat at Tacos Mexico which is right there at Westmoreland and Beverly Boulevard and was open to point. And that was where I ate dinner every day. They knew actually when I came back a year and a half ago, they knew what to make me when I walked in. They hadn't sweet? seen me for six years and they knew the moment that I walked in, they knew exactly what I wanted to order. I thought that was that really was either Because
1: cool. they really liked you or you were a real pain in the ass of what you <laughs> ordered.
0: Uh, asada burrito and two asada tacos with everything. Uh, well, you not, like
1: dead animals, don't you? You are not a vegetarian.
0: <laughs> uh, well, no, I'm not. I attend an Adventist <laughs> church, but I am not a vegetarian. <laughs> so, Doree, what is next? So you said you want to, you're going to be going to, uh, in about a year or so, you're going to be going to the West Adams
1: yep, we neighborhood. Have, and We bought a house there that we wanted to use as a shelter. Okay. I bought some property with, my, with, stuff I in, with the property I inherited. We bought five properties. Two of them were single-family homes. Gorgeous, okay. f- gorgeous mansions from the turn of the century. One of them was already labeled a boarding house in an area of Pico Union, thats a street that's all boarding houses, okay. and it's really cool. That one's thriving right now. Salvation Army is using it for homeless families. This other one in West Adams wasn't designated a boarding house, was in a zoning area that did not allow multiple family, even though there's apartment buildings next door. I went to government officials who said they would help, and then they never returned phone calls. And then I hired, I spoke to three land use attorneys who all said they would support what I was mm-hmm. doing, but there was no way that we'd get the area rezoned. Mm-hmm. So my husband and I have decided that we'll live there, and our house in Silver Lake, which by the way, if my neighbors here, I'm gonna do this, are gonna fucking fight me like tooth and nail. Our house in Silver Lake, either we're gonna rent it out, just market rate, or we're gonna rent it out to, as some kind of program house, some kind of, like, maybe sober living, mm-hmm. maybe um, we really want to rent it out to formerly homeless youth. Mm-hmm. We want, that's a program we want, it's like we, one place is homeless families. Mm-hmm. All of our multiple family buildings are either um, VASH, which is veterans, or Brilliant Corners. So what we would like to do with a house in Silver Lake is homeless youth. Okay. Because, just because. That's yeah. what we want to do. So that's what we'll do there if my neighbors don't hear this podcast and fight me. <laughs> most of my neighbors will support it because really, most of my neighbors are renters. Okay. And they're really happy. Like the people next to me, the building next to me, there's mm-hmm. the five units. That place got bought about a year and a half ago. And the dude who bought it assumed that my husband and I were going to sell them our place. And the people on the other side were going to sell them their place. I think he assumed it because we all have Hispanic last names. Mm-hmm. And he thought that we were all stupid. Okay. But he came to our house. My husband is extremely polite. He was so well-mannered. He entertained the guy speaking to him, but kept saying, no, we're not ready to sell. No, we're not going to sell. Not we're going to sell. And I'm like out there one like, I wanted to tell him to fuck off. But yeah. my husband is, he was, his mom raised him so well. He's yeah. got such good manners. He never told the guy to fuck off. Um, and I, I stayed out of it. But we, we weren't, we're not going to sell. I, yeah. I don't care how much they, they offer us. So I think our neighbors next door will be happy we're not going to sell because... The developer, because it was bought by a developer, can't develop if he only owes one lot. Yeah. So those neighbors will be really happy we don't sell. Yeah. Uh, And that we're going to use it for something like this. And 90% of my neighbors will actually support something because they're still holding on, living in Silver Lake, still holding on who are low-income themselves. Yeah. There's a couple people who are not. Who are not going to like the idea. Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Probably a lot of the shops that charge $600 for a size zero dress yeah, um, or artisanal beer at 12 bucks a pop, yeah. you know, they're probably not going to be happy, but we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, we'll see what happens, but that's, and, and West Ham's isn't that far away. Um, yeah. We, for the past 20 something years, we've lived in Silver Lake, we haven't had parking This okay. has parking. It is where we currently live now. You have to go up a whole flight of stairs to get to the property. Mm-hmm. This you just drive into the driveway and you're on the property. Oh, cool! And we're getting older. The idea of not having to schlep for parking every night, not have to schlep groceries a block mm-hmm. and a half in our senior years, sounds kind of nice. Yeah. Oh, absolutely.
0: <laughs> and you get to you get to go do this work in a new neighborhood.
1: I get to do it in a new neighborhood, and I get out parking.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it's it's an ungentrified neighborhood. And I just feel better there. Mhm. I just I just feel better there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, two questions. How do people locate Sela if they're curious and want to volunteer or participate?
1: Facebook or Twitter or an email? But okay. try, try Facebook. Just do Facebook and that will tell you where to go.
0: Okay? Sure. And <laughs> it's S E L A H. Yes. Right, And yep. so they could probably just Google that acronym.
1: They could Google that and then Neighborhood Homeless Coalition because okay. otherwise it comes up with some kind of religious... It's a religious word of some kind as well.
0: Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> but I I found the acronym when I put it in. But then again, I knew it was a religious word. So uh, it's the SELA Neighborhood Homeless Coalition Yep. Uh, if you're interested in finding out more. And if any of the listeners are curious and want to... Start doing something like this in their own neighborhood or with Contact people. Us. Contact you Contact all? Contact us. You yeah. know what?
1: Come to a couple of outreaches. We now have a proper training manual. It's oh, wow. A, the one that we used that, that day yeah. at the training. We took it, we wrote it like the month before we did the training. Okay. I'm very proud of it because I really think it's important for volunteers to understand trauma-informed care, mm-hmm. which means what trauma does to a person, and that's in there. Active listening is very important, so is motivational interviewing, and that's, Stuff I'm very proud of that's in that manual. Once we get in PowerPoint, maybe we can even give trainings to other people. Or we're going to do another. We we do we're going to do a, we do a small training before the first of the month outreach anyway. Okay. Um, you have to enroll to go into in one of our engagements. You have to go through some kind of computer system that one of my colleagues set up. But we'll do a training. So we'll train people. You won't go out cold. And if other people want to do it elsewhere, come to one of our engagements and. Uh, we will see. I will hand you the manual. hmm <laughs> I will. I, you you can go. You can take it. You can go do it in other neighborhoods. We'll, we'll come and give you a little bit of coaching. Not a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't know if I'm going to do a whole big training again anytime soon, but we will help you. We will help you set it up in other neighborhoods.
0: Sunday mornings at 10
1: a.m.? 10 to noon. And then we do, um, once a month, we do a hot dinner at a local church. Okay. The fourth Wednesday of the month, um, we do a hot dinner. I'm not going to. Shout out the church on, on this thing. I'll wait until people visit. And then the third Sunday of the month, we do a picnic. Oh, cool. Uh, a couple blocks up that way, uh, Bond Park, where the river and, and... Yeah. Yeah, we do a picnic. Just potluck. It's going to be the Sunday. Just people bring food, and we set up tables, and and sometimes have blankets or giveaways, and everyone just sort of hangs around, unhoused, housed, and you eat fried chicken together.
0: That's awesome.
1: <laughs> it is picnic food is my favorite there's yeah. always lots of mayonnaise and it's it's just it's wonderful
0: i love mayonnaise <laughs> mayonnaise and asada <laughs> and there's always
1: dogs at the picnic too and they're always oh, that's w- cool okay this is going to sound so freaking stereotypical and 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 airheaded. i've never met anyone who can um who has such well-behaved dogs as somebody who's unhoused really i've never i've i've had neighbors who've had very un trained dogs. I've had friends who You go into their house their dog is humping you. Yeah. Or it always smells like something. I have yet to find an unhoused person who didn't whose dog was less than well behaved.
0: Why do you think that is?
1: I don't know. Maybe because they spend so much time together. Maybe because dogs are just better than cats when it comes to being pack animals. Okay. And being follow a leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I've any event that dogs have been at? Or anytime I've done engagements or outreaches, dogs have always been well-behaved. Now, they're there to protect their person. Yeah. Like, there's this mean-ass Rottweiler under a bridge on Hoover and the 101, but he's guarding his owner, a yeah. lady. Yeah. But unhoused folks have very well-behaved dogs, I've found.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, they're very much... Um, people's pets are very important, especially when they're unhoused. Yeah, animals give them a lot of support.
1: Yep. And there's a lot of people who have cats out there, too. Of course, cats are not well-behaved. They're just bastards. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I say there's a cat person. They're just bastards. Well,
0: I'm a five-time Leo, so I completely agree. We are kind of. <laughs>
1: I'm a Leo too. I oh, you are. We discovered oh, that. That's right. Meeting.
0: Yes, yes. There's lots of Leos <laughs> with Sila.
1: Four out of the five um, founders are Leos. We're just insufferable. <laughs> Leos are just like we we think too much of ourselves for being Leos. <laughs>
0: that's a whole other podcast, believe it or not. But
1: well, I think it's true. That's a
0: whole series. <laughs> I love it.
1: A podcast about Zodiac signs.
0: A podcast. Well, I think there's a whole podcast about just being a Leo in and of itself. But yes, we could do a whole series on Zodiac signs. So, Doree, what do you think is next for Sila? You all are going through a rebranding process, correct?
1: And we're going to change our name or something or another. I'm not really... I don't give a shit. Yeah. I just want us to come up with a name so we can make more t-shirts. Okay. Because Sila is a religious word or people don't like the word... I it's not a big deal to me we're trying to expand as far as doing more services we're trying to f- we've been trying for over a year to get a location to have an access point engagement is great meeting mm-hmm. people where they're at is great but also having a space where people come and get a cup of coffee right. and know where to go and get to know the case managers or get to know the people right. is also really important yeah and that's what we're trying to do next
0: that's very cool Awesome things coming down the way for SELA.
1: I hope it happens, but it doesn't happen for very long because I really hope that we can get people housed.
0: That's the end goal, isn't it?
1: It is definitely the end goal. We'll always have homelessness in Los Angeles. We've had homelessness in Los Angeles since before we were part of the union. Right. Um, our oldest mission was built in 1880. That's okay. the Union Rescue Mission. So we'll always have homelessness in L.A. I just hope we don't over have it like this again.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Dorit, Thank you for being here with me today. Uh, I am Scott Clapson. We are here today with a program called Real Good Stuff. Thanks so much to Sila, Neighborhood Homeless Coalition. We're very grateful. Uh, look them up online and on Facebook. Please like and share their Facebook page. Thank you to A Million Drops. You can learn more about A Million Drops at amilliondrops.org. Thank you so much to our producer, Cynthia, DJ Cherish the Love. Thanks for listening to Real Good Stuff. Check us out at realgoodstuff.org. I'm Scott Clapson. Have a great day. Bye-bye. This will